My name is Brad. If we haven't uh, gotten to know each other yet, you are about to. Uh, um, I've been away for a while, uh, on a sabbatical, and now we are here again. Um, but yeah, it'll be fun. I have two boys at home. They are named Judah and Caleb, and my wife Carrie puts up with the three of us all the time. That there's this thing going on at my house right now. There's a competition. Judah's five. He's this. Caleb is uh, going to be three. Wow. Uh, he's, he's this. Uh, he's stronger than Judah. Don't tell Judah that, but he can, he can hold his own. Uh, there is this competition going on. Whatever Judah does, Caleb has to do. If Judah, who got stung by a bee three weeks ago, uh, gets stung by a bee, now Caleb walks around and goes, I got a bee sting too. And he's trying to meet up, you know, keep up with Judah. Judah jumps off the couch, which is awesome and against the rules. Uh, and, and Caleb has to jump off the same part of the couch. The problem is Caleb's not as, you know, developed as Judah, and it ends up with an injury. And so, but there's this thing to get our attention. That's the whole reason they're doing this, right? What can we do to get mom and dad to look at us and say, wow, great job. You are awesome. And we're not bad parents. We... We, we do give them the attention they're needing, probably more than they need, and I'm sorry about that if you ever have to hang out with them, but there's sometimes where Carrie and I want to have a conversation and it doesn't have to be about a Lego, and so we're looking somewhere else, and they'll come to us clamoring for credibility of anything that they're doing. It's a normal thing that my boys do, and it's not something that we're immune from as anyways. You and I do it too. We love to be affirmed. We love to be given credit. We love to be told that we're doing a great job. We all do it. It's normal. What they're looking for is the same thing you and I are looking for, credibility. We want people to know that we're credible. Humans, it doesn't matter who you are or how old you are or how young you are, all want this sort of credibility. No matter what you've done, you never outgrow this. What does change for all of us is how we go about getting it. So when we're older, when we're younger, like Judy and Caleb's age, what do they do? They, they'll show us this Lego creation. It's supposed to be a boat. It's nothing like a boat. It's supposed to be a car. Look how great this is. Dad, look how far I can throw. Look how fast I can run. And I've had eight weeks of this. And I'm like, yes, that's awesome. You've gotten faster and stronger. For us who are older, what do we do? Oh, my profession. Uh, how much money I have, uh, what, uh, how many accomplishments I've done, who I've voted for, which seems to be a big one lately, uh, various accomplishments, how, how many books you've read and how fast. Uh, we all do these things, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but when we do those things in order to get the approval of somebody else, we might be going a little too far with them. When we use things around us to prove how smart and how good we are, we might be missing the point when we align with things and post things in order to show people that we are virtuous we might be going we might be losing the plot when we try and tell people how profound we are we might be losing ourselves we're hoping that something we do something we say something we make would give us the credibility and it always starts off well right it always starts off in a good place, but it doesn't end there. It always leads down a well-paved road of being tossed around to and from, from various waves of culture and what everyone else believes for that day. We want to be noticed. We want to be praised. We want the attention, and we'll do anything to get it. There is a celebrity-type disease in our world today. 
you don't know how many experts they are until you go away from Facebook for six weeks and then you turn it on and try and catch up and everyone's an expert now. This is what we live with. It happens in our personal lives. It also happens in our church lives. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be surprised that things that happen in our personal lives outside of this building will seep its way into the church and not just a Sunday gathering, but into your small groups, into your devotional times, into your private worship times. Those things all filter in to how you relate with God. It all comes back to your walk with Jesus, and it's completely backwards. We think that we can get credibility from something else when really the only credibility that we need can only come from Christ. As though if we align with these things, then maybe Jesus will take us seriously. And Christians in the church do not need to gain credibility from anything else like looking like the world around them. We only gain our credibility from Jesus. Nothing else works. Might look good. Man, you might feel great. You might get all the attention. You might get applause. You might get 150 likes. But it doesn't add a single dose of credibility to you. The opposite will always happen. If you've casually read through your Bible at all, there's this section of 66 books called the Old Testament. And this happens every time in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what happens is the, the people of Israel are called to be God's representative, the Hebrews, which means river crossers, the Jordan River. They crossed the Jordan River. That's how they were known. They're in, they're, they're, God says, I'm going to set you apart so that people will know who I am through your life. Okay? What happens? They go fine for like maybe 40 years or a little bit longer or whatever. So they go okay. And then all of a sudden they start looking around going, oh man, if only we brought in maybe a, a, a ball statue or maybe if we bring in an astropole or maybe if we start going against these rules that God used to set us apart, maybe we'll gain credibility in the eyes of the world and we'll be better. And if you keep casually reading in your Old Testament, you'll find out that it never worked. Soon, God sends judges. Uh, this is what the book of Judges is for. It's not like a, a catchy title, but this judges, because they were called judges. They sent judges, and they, they sinned. They walk away from God. They started to find their identity in other things. And all of a sudden, the Philistines came in, and God goes, fine, I'm going to send you Samson, or I'm going to send you Deborah. I'm going to send you Jael. who's going to put a tent peck through someone's head. This is all happening because the people of Israel decided to find their credibility elsewhere. And it always ends badly. History keeps repeating itself. God's intention was this, that he would draw all people to himself through Israel so that he, God, would be all the credibility that they needed. We don't need Baal. We don't need Asherah. We don't need all of the other religions of this day. All we need is to find our, our identity in Yahweh and what he says about us. Then we'll have the credibility we're looking for. And every time they tried, it went badly. Soon the nation was split and then this one goes off to Assyria, and this one goes off to Babylon, and the nation is done. In so many ways, I feel like this is what's happening in the church today, and it was happening in the church in Galatia when Paul writes this book. We've been spending, or you've been spending the last nine weeks or so in Galatians studying the fruits of the Spirit. Paul wrote this book to a group of Galatians. Galatia, the, the area of Galatia was probably modern-day Turkey. He started this church during his missionary journeys back and forth. You can read about it in Acts 13 and 14. You can read all about what happens. He caused a stir when he goes here. 
There was a series of churches there, and Paul started them, and then he hears what's going on and decides to write them a letter. We would send a strongly worded email. He sent a very strongly worded letter, and he sends it to them addressing what's happening. What would happen is a small church, like, like in a house, would read it, and then they would take it to the next house, the town over. They would read it, and it would get passed around so everybody knows what's being said, and everyone knew probably who and what Paul was talking about. The problem that was happening... His Christianity that day was mainly focused within the Jewish culture. But as Paul went out, more people became Christians that weren't Jewish. And when they became Christians and they weren't Jewish, they didn't have the Jewish backing to them. And so these new believers lacked credibility. And so the louder voices of the day would go around saying, we need to make sure that these new Gentile Christians can actually be Christ followers. So what do we do for that? They didn't have discipleship groups or small groups or anything like that. And so they said, let's have them obey the Jewish law. And everyone went, sounds great. Because that's what makes somebody a follower of Jesus was the Jewish law. And so they would walk around and say, if you want to be a Christian, yes, you have Jesus. But in order to be credible, you need to follow along with what we're doing here with the Jewish law, the Torah, which is what Jesus came to fulfill. So Paul catches a word of this, and he's not happy, he's heartbroken, he's angry. And the majority of Paul's letter is challenging this point, saying, remember, the only thing that you need to have credibility isn't the 614 laws, of which circumcision was the one that they were really pounding home. It wasn't this. What really makes up your credibility, and Paul says it, Jesus. And so for the first chapter, he goes through saying, you don't need the Old Testament law. You don't need it to make credible. You don't need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. You just need Jesus. So we're going to look at two ideas today. Okay, we're going to hopefully summarize the last few weeks. But where do these fruits that Paul is getting talking about come from, which you've talked about, where do they come from? And what's the point of them? Why have fruit in the beginning? So Paul starts working toward this argument of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. God, did I miss one? Faithfulness, that's good. Okay, that sounds like one, yeah. And so, yeah, so Paul's working towards this goal. This is the point of his argument, and he takes a long time to get to arguments. And he's working this way. And look what he says. So he's working to the fruits of the Spirit, working towards what credibility looks like in their culture. In Galatians 2.20, he begins, this is what starts. So the first chapter is like greetings and basically like, what the heck are you guys doing? And so verses 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Let me have it here. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. It is Christ who lives within me. In other words, Christ, only one that matters in Paul's life. Why? I've been crucified with him, which means what? He's dead. I'm dead. I don't matter. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. It is Christ who lives within me. And then he continues, the life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He can, and he goes on, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Okay, so this is what Paul's point is. Anything he does, good bad. The credibility that he stands with is not his Jewishness, not the law which they're telling everyone to, to obey, not his position, not his power, nothing. Anything that he does comes from aligning only with Christ. 
The only thing that counts as credible was Jesus. This is Paul's motive. This is the warning shot across the bow. Hey, Galatians, this is where we're going. This is the thesis statement, so to speak. We'll get to the conclusion of the chapter where he comes back to it in, in Galatians 6. But he says this, this is what we align well with. And this is a pivotal point in the letter. We align, our, our credibility begins with Jesus. In Philippians 3, it's not going to be on the screen. Philippians 3, it says this. Uh, Paul goes through every, like his resume, right? And he goes through it and he says, though, I didn't have it memorized, so I need to, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, God's electric power company, in case you ever want to remember that. Uh, Galatians, this is what they teach us in seminary. Uh, Galatians 3, verse 4, he says, though I myself have no reasons for confidence, he puts no confidence in himself, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, here's his, res his resume. This is what everyone thinks makes him credible, right? And he goes, I've been, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was, I'm a person of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to law, I'm a Pharisee, which means he's like a PhD. I have zeal. I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I'm faultless. And then he continues. So everyone's like, whoa, this is what makes Paul so great. But watch what he says. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything loss because of the surrender. I consider loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things I consider all of that garbage funny word garbage it's it doesn't say garbage it, it actually is the word uh, excrement from animals seriously it means poop I consider them poop all of the other things that were supposed to give me credibility the word is scubalon I consider them scubalon poop or whatever word that comes from an animal that ends with that, that you can do the math and what it means. This is what Paul is saying. That stuff that used to give me credibility, gone. So that I might find Christ and that I might be found in him. This is what gives Paul credibility. This is what gives Paul the legs to stand on. This is where Paul's writing from for Galatians. What you do doesn't matter. That's not going to save you. This is what he's getting at. Credibility comes from Christ because I was on the Christ with him. I was on the cross with Christ. He lives through me. I'm dead. Nothing I can do matters aside from Christ. Are we getting what Paul's getting at? I can go on and pound this home, but this is what he's going through, which tells me this, following Christ is the starting point. Following Christ will lead to other things. Absolutely. You follow Christ, you're going to start caring about this. You're going to start noticing this. Certain things around this world are going to start breaking your heart because the Spirit's transforming you and you are learning about things. But it all starts on the foundation of Jesus. Things like generosity, advocacy, and other things need to find their home first in Christ. One author that I was reading over my break said, you, you can have justice, but justice without Jesus is like building on sand. You need to have justice, which is great. Justice needs to be found on the rock of Christ first. Then you have true justice. Because if you align yourself, you start building on anything else first, it's not going to stand. He goes on to prove his point, which Paul's great at doing this. And so halfway through the book, he says this uh, in Galatians 3. So in Christ... 
You are all children of God. You are all here. You are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and being clothed into righteousness and being, being clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew, neither slave, nor free, nor is there male or female, for all of you are one in Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul's not getting cute here. He's not entering the Jewish debate or the gender debate. He's not, that's not what he's doing here. The two things that he couples together, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, are, are ways to mark status in that world. So he's going through the status symbols. Look, you're not high, you're not low. There is no status here. God brings everybody together regardless of status and joins themselves together with Christ. He's not going, this, this verse gets misapplied a lot of times to talk about gender. That's not what Paul's talking about. Find a different place. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about status symbols. We could rewrite this and, and add to it. Uh, there's neither uh, Jew nor Gentile. There's neither employed or unemployed. There's, no, there's neither degree or trade school. There's neither Republican or Democrat. If we really want to get personal here, there's not vaxxed or, un, vaxxed or unvaxxed. Paul's looking at the dichotomies that we create in our world and said, none of these is going to give you the credibility. What does only comes from Jesus, who you belong to first. This is what matters. Your identity, anything you are, begins with Christ. Your identity begins with Christ, what he says about you. And then you're transformed into the likeness of Christ instead of the culture around you. And when a community of Jesus, uh, a community of Jesus is centered on that, things take hold. There will be fruits that come from it. People will start to notice that you're different in a good way. They'll start to notice that you portray love, faithfulness, joy, self-control. Why? Because the foundation of all of those things has found its home in Jesus, in what Jesus has already done. Paul isn't saying about these fruits, now try your best to go be self-controlled. No, he's saying, find yourself in Jesus and then watch the self-control happen. Find, do your best to be joyful all the time on traffic that took me an hour and a half to get from Green Lake to downtown the other day. Be joyful. No, Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying, find your identity in Christ. Joy will come next. Our lives are crucified with Christ. That's the start. The more you pursue Christ, the more fruit will come. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7. And you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know that you're with me by the fruits that you come, but it begins by with me. To what end, though? So you have these fruits. What's the point? Sometimes we look at these and go, I want people to know me that I am patient. I want to be patient all the time. So people, that's what we do. And so I'm going to be patient so people recognize that I'm patient. It doesn't work like that. I have some friends, uh, and in their yard is a beautiful garden. I mean, it's huge. It's wonderful. It's up here in Shoreline. It's a beautiful garden. And, and they had this uh, fig tree. Now, I, the only thing that I've ever had having to do with a fig was a fig newton. Okay? I've never had the real deal. And so this, one of the, our friends comes in, and she's passing out this fig. I was like, what is this weird-looking thing? She's like, just try it. And I eat it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I was like, where did you get this? She goes, oh, from the tree right, right there. It came, it came from our garden. And then 
she goes and gets more and then I'm eating these figs and I'm like good grief I've never had anything taste so good fresh from the tree and, and I wanted to know more about these figs but my friend just keeps talking about this tree and I'm like yeah I don't care about the tree I want more fig give me figs and I so much so that they're not home today and I might stop by on the way home and grab some more but she's saying yes this fig tree doesn't produce fruit all the time it's gone through a weird thing but lately, the past couple seasons, they've been the best things ever. And she keeps talking about this tree, and I couldn't care less about the tree. And then it hit me. The figs are only good because of the tree. I can look at this fig all the time and go, oh, this fig's awesome. And I miss the tree. This is the great things about the fruits of the Spirit. This is exactly what Paul's getting at. All of this talk about the fruits of the Spirit are great. We could embody all of these things to the T, and everyone can know us from that. But if they never notice the tree, what the heck is the point of the fruit? Jesus says, remain in me, you'll be fruitful. Abide in me, and you'll be fruitful, says it in John. I'm the vine. You are the branches. You give fruit. But what do the, does the fruit come from? Him. So we can have all the fruit in the world, but if they don't draw attention to Jesus, we've lost the plot. Whatever we do, if you are self-controlled and people don't see Jesus through that, we've got to ask ourselves some questions. The fruit that we give is all about pointing back to the tree that gave it. The Galatian church is worried about how they're going to look at like credible Christians. And it's a good problem to worry about. And the louder voices are going around saying, you need to do this in order to be credible, in order to show that you know Jesus, you need to do this, this, this. Paul hears about this, writes this strongly worded letter. Your credibility and your fruit will come from Jesus, and it will point back to Jesus. It doesn't go the other way around. It comes from life in the Spirit. It is sustained from life in the Spirit and it'll show itself back to where it came from. And this is what Paul gets at the end of this letter. In verse 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 11. See that I write in large letters, and I use my own hand. Uh, this is the equivalent to all caps. And maybe spaced out letters. However you make yourself known in your text messages. This is what, look, I'm writing this with all letters. Now he's lost it. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, meaning this is things that you do in order to impress others, in order for you to get the credit so that you're credible, are trying to compel you to be circumcised, to follow a law. The only reason they do this is because they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they're trying to be taken seriously so that people will leave them alone. So that people will go, oh, you're good, you're fine, you're wonderful. That's why they're doing this. In verse 13, not even those who are circumcised, so not even the ones who are doing this can ever keep up with what they're trying to do. It's a never-ending circle of trying to be good and credible, and you're going to find yourself taken off by the next thing. They can't even keep up with it. Yeah, they want you to be circumcised so that what? They may brag about your circumcision so they can say, look what I made them do. Attention comes back to them. They want the attention for themselves. They want to boast about it. In the words of the, of the great philosopher Ron Burgundy, for those of you who have seen Anchorman, the wonderful movie, look how good I am. That's what they want people to say. Look how good I look. Everyone, come see. Yet Paul's message to the Galatians is the same message to us. May I never boast in anything except what? It's on the screen, I hope. 
cross of Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is only the new creation. In other words, what counts is what Jesus is doing in your life now. Our credibility shows from the fruits. Our fruits come from being aligned with Christ. And the whole point of the fruit isn't to profit us, but to profit Jesus. Jesus said it this way. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it ever be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine in others before others so that they see the good deeds. And where does it end? Glorify the Father in heaven. Christians today have credibility issues. We'd be ignorant to ignore that. The church today has credibility issues. Sometimes the church is a laughingstock, tone deaf, and it's heartbreaking to see it. It doesn't have to be this way. Because of this, what, what I've observed in the past eight weeks is that the church is trying to do anything and everything in order to gain any kind of credibility to have voice into our world. No, we're not going around telling people that they need to follow a Jewish law. I, I, don't, I don't think that we would be for that. But we're doing other things. We're aligning ourselves personally in some churches with organizations, viewpoints, movements, slogans, politicians, and whatever is around in order to gain credibility so that we will listen. And I think it's a dangerous thing to do. It's written in Revelation. You've lost your first love. When we do this, we lose our first love. And we start caring about other things because what, what will people think of us? Rather than caring about first and foremost of who Jesus is and how the Spirit is transforming our lives. Credibility is a big thing. Credibility is something that we need. But we need to realize where the credibility has to come from. Now, I can go down the line and name all of these things. I don't think I need to name them. I think you can figure out what we do as Christians, and if we want to, we could talk afterwards. It appears as though the motive is this, that we want to look better, and so we, like my kids at home, clamor for credibility. Well, if they did that, then we have to jump off the same thing and say the same thing, post the same thing, in order that people can think, oh, they get it. We don't need to do that. Jesus is working in your life. Jesus is working in this church. And the more we pursue Jesus, it's not that as though we're blind and putting our heads in the sand. No, we're putting our heads right where they belong. And the more we pursue Christ, the more the Spirit of God transforms you and you start looking like Jesus. You start having fruits and it's about the tree. And then you start going, yes, I'm this way, but it's nothing that I'm doing. I'm dead. I'm crucified with Christ. But look at the tree that this fruit comes from. And then people see not how amazing your social media posts are, not how profound you might be, but how wonderful your Savior is. How wonderful Jesus is so that people will praise him. We don't do things for our own acclaim. We don't do things so that we can be known as a church that promotes whatever hashtag comes next. 
We do things for the name of Christ. We're sustained by his spirit, and everything we do needs to draw attention to him. My prayer for us as I come back from this time away is that people will be drawn to us by our fruit, but they will leave amazed about who gave us the fruit. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you do take our scubalon, the things that we believe will give us a name, a voice, a a credible chance, a, a relevancy, you take that stuff and go, no, 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 no. That stuff's poop. Comes out of an animal. It's excrement. But what gives us the credibility is what you did on the cross for us. May people know who you are through our lives. May we draw so close to you. May we identify like Paul, crucified on the cross with us so that we're no longer alive. You're living through us. And so may you living through us produce a fruit that brings attention back to who you are, not anything that I'm doing. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for being such a good king to us. In Jesus' name.